Welcome to the Average Saint Podcast, where we help the average saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is episode 31. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church here in Edmonton. And today we're looking at the topic of holistic healthcare in pandemic times. Over the course of the last 15 months, it appears as though all of healthcare has been focused on reducing or stopping or slowing the virus. While some responses have been well-intended, more and more healthcare professionals across the country are raising an alarm, observing that the collateral damage done by funneling healthcare through one lens has been catastrophic. How should the average saint respond when healthcare becomes myopic, focused just through one lens? To discuss the issue, I have joining me today, Dr. Ted Fenske. Dr. Fenske, great to have you here. It's wonderful to be here, Jason. Thank you very much. Yeah. So tell us first, how did you actually come into this career in medicine? I know there's a big story there. Yeah, well, I, uh, it wasn't my first thought. Uh, in fact, as a child, I, I really wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. He was mm. a chaplain in the armed forces. And uh, ah. as a pastor, I, 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 I was uh, really drawn to that and wanted to be a pastor myself someday, you know. And ah. I, I think I warmed his heart to no end when I'd say that to, to him in front of <laughs> others, you know. Um, and uh, But as, as a young child, uh, one of, at one of the services that we had, we had a special uh, guest speaker who is a, uh, a missionary physician from China. And he was speaking on his, his work there uh, in the mission field and a Christian man. And, and for the first time kind of exposed me to the idea of medicine as, as a holy priesthood, a holy calling, you know. Ah. And, uh, and the idea that, you know, we could be his hands and feet and, you know, alleviating suffering, bringing comfort mm. uh, in, in the, by, by medical provision. Right. And, uh, and, and I found that very exciting. And, of course, as a child, my, my, my mind was on doing mission work as well, going to Africa or whatever. And right. I have had a chance to do that kind of thing. But, and it is wonderful. But uh, beyond, beyond that, I've, I've come to recognize uh, more and more recently the mission field that we have, you know, right here mm. uh, around us. And not just in medicine, of course, but, but also in medicine. Mm. And so that, that was uh, a certain development uh, for, for me and and I uh, I kind of th- see myself in, in, in the secular uh, healthcare times as a sheep in wolves clothing so to speak you know so I I, uh, I, I feel reverse in, in a way you know a pastoral calling but yeah. I, I have I have my my white coat mantle and lanyard and, and right. stethoscope around my neck and so it's given me uh, opportunity to move into an immense mission field of medicine I bet. it's immense and and the needs have only uh, been magnified during during these times uh, now and, yeah. and in terms of you know faith influencing uh, this pursuit I, mean, I, I would say that it's, it's the central uh, element the scripture that came, came to mind when you asked me that was uh, from Colossians uh, three seventeen. Mm. whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Mm. And so uh, I, I don't, I, I fail, you know, miserably day to day, but nonetheless, this, this is my modem operandi, if you like. Amen. So still following in the footsteps of the ultimate healer. Yes. In yeah. your occupation, mm-hmm. this is this is fantastic. So, just for our listeners, what area of medicine are you in? So I, I did uh, internal medicine uh, here at the U of A, and then went on and did my cardiology training and 
And uh, so I'm, I'm a cardiologist at the Royal Alexander Hospital, CKU Heart Center, we call it. Very nice. And um, I'm a proud member of that, that very good team and part of the part of the Mazinkowski team, uh, so to speak, you know, across the river, but still involved with their important work that they're doing. So uh, it's been wonderful, actually. We've been here now for over 30 years. And during mm-hmm. that time, we've seen the, the heart program, as we call it, really develop uh, in, in Edmonton. It's right. been wonderful to be part of that. You know, right. Maybe. Well, I've often been told when I came here seven years ago that uh, Alberta has the best health care in all of Canada. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I, 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 Are you I would biased? say it's certainly, it's certainly uh, excellent. <laughs> you know, it's certainly excellent. If, it, if it's necessarily better than other, other provinces, we like to think so, certainly. And yeah. we, but we're proud of, of the work that's being done. Good. That's great. Okay, so now, as a doctor, on the front lines of the crisis, what are the challenges that you have faced over the last 15 months? Yeah, I mean, there was the initial fears, uh, like everybody else that, that we had. We didn't know, you know, what to expect, and and it, it is disconcerting. And I, I had some exposure to um, the concerns around Ebola in Africa, uh-huh. uh, working working with uh, certain uh, Christian organizations, and uh, that that was kind of in the back of our minds. And I think it was in the back of a lot of physicians' minds, you know, the, the Ebola crisis and, and just how devastating viruses can be, uh, how little, you know, control, how, how fast and, and right. they, they can spread. And there, there was an outbreak in Texas, too. So I, I know our, our American um, colleagues had that kind of in the back of their mind. Mm. Uh, and so when this first came to light, you know that there was the, this pandemic and and uh, this unknown virus essentially right. that we had never been exposed to before. These are the, the initial concerns, right. and, and so I was uh, not not panicked, but I was I I shared that concern right. know, with, with the initial outbreak, and and so uh, you know when I had to do my procedures in the intensive care unit. Uh, I look at the heart with a special scope that goes into the esophagus, into the food pipe, and you have to get pretty close and personal with people when, you, when you're doing this kind of thing. And, no uh, kidding. And these these were infected, sick patients uh, with COVID-19, and 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 mm. so you're 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 concerned about these things too. So I'd come home and change my clothes, and you know this, this kind of idea. Uh, <laughs> right. And and there's nothing wrong with that kind of concern. But to be honest, you know, ever since I, I trained in during the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, and mm. in, during that time, it was developed by medicine in in, in lar- by large. Uh, a universal precaution. So rather than just approaching, you know, certain patients with, with certain precautions in terms of hygiene, right. and we, we have kind of a universal precaution right. in, in that sense. So the, the hand hygiene and, and, and the like is, is at a high level anyway. Mm. But that being said, we have a virus here that we, we're not sure about and we're trying to protect ourselves. And there are, there are the personal protective equipment, which is what we've all heard this uh, ad nauseum. PPE. You know, that, that's right. New so, vocabulary uh, so we to the general public. This. And not just when we're seeing patients, of course, infected, but then all the time right you know, and we, we ramp it up and we go in the room uh you know i, I have a special mask uh, the the uh, n95 mask which actually prevents or helps to prevent the majority of the virus mm. you know transmission through that mm-hmm. but even beyond those rooms where where we have actual identified patients we'd, we'd be wearing certain levels of, of ppe you know right. so i have i'm not wearing them right now for you but i, I have my my prescription goggles right. that i wear uh, which I actually was able to go skiing in, which is a double purpose, which I was pleased with. But, uh, <laughs> Those but I have my serious my, my masks on. And, and of course, there's the hand hygiene, which I'm, I'm all in favor of, uh, which is being emphasized, uh, maybe not even enough. But, but the, um, so we have this then, you know, throughout, we have to put on gowns if we don't know if someone has COVID-19. So the, uh, very, very quickly then as the, as the pandemic, uh, uh, unrolled here, 
it became very cumbersome to practice medicine mm. uh, and slowed down the, the flow that we would normally have. And so it wasn't just uh, being slowed down by having to put on certain gowns and masks and goggles and shields right. and take them all off again for the next patient, put new ones on. And I mean, the garbage that we've created, right. that I've created, you know. Personally. Yeah, I mean, Greta Thunberg would not be happy with me. But anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, so this, this slows down the process. And it's, it's quite a... Uh, cumbersome uh, is a good word, you know, for that. It really slowed, you know, our rounds, for example, in the hospital. But right. more importantly, it would uh, oftentimes delay certain procedures or delay certain diagnostics because the patient was isolated until we had the results back. Oh, uh, and how long did that COVID. usually take? Well, it could take some time, even some days, you know. And so, oh. so there, there are cases where our, you know, for example, we do the angiogram test, look at the heart artery uh, status and there's narrowings or whatever, and patients were booked for that and clear indications for it. They came in with a heart attack or something. They're stable, but still, we have to wait until we have that that clearance before we can go to the cat that we call the cath lab, because uh, you know, it, otherwise, it takes a remarkable amount of time to try to sterilize that down again for the next patient. Right. So, so we, once they're cleared, then we can, you know, move, move ahead. So this kind of uh, uh, process then made things very slowly. And it was quite mm. frustrating for, for us who, who think along the lines of diagnosis because everybody was being treated as COVID-19, which uh, I understand on a certain level. But, but it, it got a bit silly on some levels because people would come in with clear presentations of heart problems but because that that symptom would overlap with a potential covid symptom uh-huh. they were they were a high risk covid until proven otherwise and so oh, uh, interesting. It, it was a bit frustrating you know and so rather than thinking you know about, about a diagnosis we were just you know kind of a blanket approach then and, and i found that difficult did you ever experience something like that similar approach to you know any other kind of disease management in your career we we do i mean uh for example if a patient in the hospital uh and i'm not against this i'm just I'm sure, sure, one, sure one example that, that yeah. would be similar would be if a patient in the hospital develops diarrhea right then we have an isolation protocol that we, we put them in because we, we don't want you know a certain certain bacteria which can spread rapidly through uh the hospital right uh to do so and in case they do have that and so we test them for that particular uh, bacterium and, and infection uh, possibility. And once that comes back, then we can clear the isolation because people can have diarrhea for whole sorts of reasons. Right, right, right. Including right, the medications right. Or, or, or the change in diet or, or what have you. But if they have developed that, uh, and you have to define what is diarrhea, loose stool, this kind of idea. But so it gets into a bit of a gray zone. Right. Uh, but if the call's made that, okay, they've got, they potentially could have this infectious organism. You got to figure it out. Then we have a system in place and, and the, the, the isolation comes into, into gear. Gotcha. And with the isolation in gear, then we have to go through certain levels of protection every time we go enter and leave the room. Right. And uh, again, I'm not necessarily against that. We have to be careful, but it's quite, it's quite cumbersome. Right. And, and when the downside as a practitioner is that we, we end up, uh, just because we're human beings and we're, we're, we're trying to move along, we end up spending less time with them. And it's been shown, not just with me, of course, but generally that when people are in isolation, the care you know, it's still provided, but but there, there's a, there's a decrement there. Of course. Yeah. Well, it's still isolation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, don't, right. they don't have the same kind of family visit, you know, visitation, right. which is a, an immense problem that we're seeing magnified here many, many fold, you know. So right. it's that kind of mindset. And then, so this is the same idea. If you come into the hospital and you're complaining of shortness of breath, even though your shortness of breath is related to asthma that you've mm-hmm. got, let's say, right. you've got a bad, you're a bad asthmatic and you've got this problem and you've got a, a worsening of that. Because the shortness of breath and COVID overlap, 
Right. You know, you're, you're going to be in COVID isolation. Right. That's just the thinking that goes into it. Gotcha. And, and it's difficult. I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but no. I'm just saying from the, from a practice standpoint, uh, it's, it's difficult. And, and so it was encumbering care, at least in, in your experience, because this was just something that was blanket. Yeah. This was yeah, applied that, to absolutely that, that, right. everybody. That's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Even, even if they even didn't have symptoms? Were, even when they were clearly not, you know, when, even when, when they were clearly their symptoms related to something that we, we right. knew for sure. That this is where, where I had issues ah. with yeah, as a diagnostician. This is the problem the person has, but because of the overlap, we had to treat it that way. But, um, and then, and then there was the, the whole fear. Uh, and it wasn't just fear in patients' eyes. But fear in my colleagues' eyes, and I, I found that that was uh, very difficult. You know, to right. see my, my colleagues so fearful. I, I've been in certain environments, perhaps in the mission field, mm. uh, that they hadn't been. But I, I, I didn't have to share that. I mean, initially there, there was that I could understand. But right. as things rolled out, we became to understand there's a risk factor profile right. and, and an age profile and, and, right. and the like. You know, the and we knew how to how to protect ourselves. You know, the fears for myself anyway were were. Uh, taken care of and, and, right. and kind of put into context. Uh, of course, having a Christian worldview helps, I think, as well. Amen. Uh, but the, uh, seeing the fear in their eyes, uh, and, and really out of proportion, I thought, to, you know, mm. what, what the issues at hand were. So even when we're meeting, you know, separately in our, in our boardrooms, still masks, goggles, shields, disinfectant, right. uh, you know, and it's just like, come on, let's just relax just a little bit here. I mean, you know, <laughs> it seems, you know, but. Right, uh, right. And you worked with Ebola patients before. Uh, I, I haven't personally, but, okay. but I was, I was with a group that, that did and, and I was in the same area. Gotcha. Uh, that, uh, that, where the problem was happening. Been near so the danger. The, and then with the patients, of course, the. What's been, you know, really, really evident on the on this time is this, the fear, the anxiety, the loneliness and depression, uh, and the deconditioning people have, have developed, you know, because they haven't been getting out and doing things. Uh, it's just widespread. It's right across the board. Right. Know? So a general question I'd ask somebody is, you know, how are what kind of supports do you have? How, you know, who's at home with you or whatever? And oftentimes, even though they would have supports, typically family or friends, or whatever, those are shut down. Right, you know, they you haven't can't seen interact. their grandchildren for a year or what, what have you, mm. and it just breaks your heart, Jason. Wow, just to, to to see that. I mean, I mean, you must see that maybe even more here in this office, but yes. but it's certainly when come someone coming into the cardiology clinic where you think you're just going to check the blood pressure and do this and that. It's it's there's a lot more going on there. Right. Yeah. So you saw definitely an encumbrance um, with dealing with patients coming in. You mentioned that even though you knew uh, in certain cases that it was symptoms presenting another condition. They were still treated as a COVID threat. And so that encumbered their care. And then you have on top of that, the the psychological, emotional care being encumbered because of people simply be cut off mm-hmm. uh, from having their social supports, which is huge in the healing process. Yeah, I mean, so much so. Right. So yeah, we, we know a lot about isolation, loneliness, you know, as a driver for medical illnesses, including heart disease, uh, stroke, heart right. attack. It, it's, it's an, it's a known, well-known, well-documented driver of those things. And this has just been ramped up now. Unbelievable. So other than those two concerns, have those been the, the most difficult challenges that you've faced in the last 15 months? Started with a big explosion of fear. But then as the months went on, what other challenges did you experience? Yeah, you know, one thing that I, I experienced personally is, is 
restriction of my own movement. Mm. And I, I would brag, you know, to people that I can just waltz in and out of any hospital in any any area, uh, you know. And and this is this is a, a tremendous uh, opportunity uh, to to be able to you know visit and and uh, right. like. I have privileges in a number of different hospitals and. And uh, and so to have my own movement in the hospital restricted then was a new thing, ah. and that was uh, there's a bit of an ego thing maybe for me, but that that was difficult. And I had a colleague some months ago who had a stroke, and I wasn't allowed to visit him. Oh, and in a, an actual ward that I go frequent often to oh. see my, my own patients, you know. And so, but I wasn't allowed to visit him because I wasn't you know directly involved in his care. And these are the rules, you know. Mm. I can appreciate things on a certain level, but. But we, we cross a line then when we don't realize just the, the therapeutic benefit of, of having visitation, having family in particular. And I right. think this is one of the major drivers. I mean, people are afraid of dying for sure. You know, most people are afraid of dying mm-hmm. on one level, but, but to be the greater fear, or at least the similar fear, would be the, the prospect of going to the hospital. And, and not being able to see your loved ones again. Right. Dying in the hospital alone. Right. Surrounded by people with gowns and gloves, doing the best they can, trying right. to care for you, but you don't know them. And right. they're all behind all those shields anyway. So you can't, there's no person you can, you know, kind of connect right. with in terms of the face, you know, that right. we need. And that's a giant fear, I think, that's been driving this too. Yeah, it, so it's grievous. It. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've had that happen with members of our own church where, you know, unfortunately, they've had loved ones who... Yeah. Who've died in that kind of isolation? Mm-hmm. So there's room. There's room yeah. for exceptions, you know. I mean, for sure. I mean, rules are fine, but yeah. but come on, we have to recognize the, the bigger picture, right? You know? And and uh, and I think there's a bigger picture than and that's why we're talking about this myopia here that that's being lost. Right. Exactly. Okay. So now that you've navigated the last 15 months, navigated these challenges, doing your best to extend uh, holistic health care. Uh, to your to your clients, just going back again, you know what biblical principles actually inform your approach to caring for people in the midst of this crisis now? Because now, you know, you, you kind of you don't really have your hands tied behind your back, but you, you definitely have your your hands weighted down. Sure. Yeah. So, what biblical principles have been helping you navigate as a healthcare professional mm-hmm. through this challenge? Firstly, is that God God is sovereign. Amen. You know, and so. And it's easy to be, to fall into the idea of the virus being ultimate. You know, the mm. virus, in a way, the pandemic has been ultimized in our society. Right, it's become this big, and and right. and and you know that that's God's place. God is ultimate, and that's His place, pandemic or no pandemic. And so, I think that's that's uh, uh, cr- critical. You know, that that we maintain as Christians, that we maintain that perspective, and and counter. You know the the idea that that the pandemic is reigning, you know, right. and, and and is in control here. Right. Uh, I, I had biblical support of that, scriptural support of that is Colossians one sixteen, a favorite uh, verse. Uh, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Mm. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, mm. even. Even the pandemic. Amen. So, I mean, if I, I don't understand it. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but he, he is sovereign. You know? Amen. So that, that would be, I, I guess, the, the first point. And, and then secondly, trying to see people, despite the masks and, and, and yes. everything, uh, how God might see them. You know, he's created in, in his image fearfully and wonderfully, wonderfully made, made, rather than uh, this reductionist idea 
that the person now, or the human being, has become a viral carrier. Period. Mm. You know, and and I don't think people necessarily articulate that, but that's kind of how it feels. You know, when when you're well, in it, and and yeah. it's uh, and when you're uh, just in terms of the actual workload and, and and seeing people and how they how they respond to you, and so countering that reductionist perspective would be a, a second, and gotcha. then trying to see um, Christ in others uh, would would be a third. Mm. Matthew 25, you know, seeing the sick person in prison, when did you visit? And uh, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is a, uh, a central you know, guiding principle, right. if you like. And then, and then uh, this a servant, servant role. As part of our uh, Christian Medical Dental Association for the, for the longest time, our uh, logo had, had a cross with a towel draped over the, the horizontal beam of the cross. And a, and a wash basin, oh. and so the idea there was that that we as Christian physicians and dentists would have this this washing one's feet, uh, uh, you know, mindset, you know, and I, and I love that mm. uh, uh, image. Uh, they've redone it now, so so they just they put a Canadian flag there instead. So so it looks like the Canadian Medical Dental Association instead of the Christian one. But <laughs> anyway, uh, there's I guess there's reasons for that, but I think that's that servanthood, uh, you know, where we can try to. Um, be ambassadors uh, and and you know comfort. You know I think that that's uh, uh, I remember in in my very beginning of medical school training, uh, our dean of medicine shared with us Edward Trudeau, the, the founder of uh, the TB Sanatorium, his quote famous quotation or adage uh, that the physician's role is to cure sometimes, relieve often, and comfort always. Mm. And uh, I think that that comforting role it's it's gotten a bit blurred. Mm. Uh, you know because in, in, in our current time now. You know, we want cure. We just want the cure part. Actually, oh. forget the relief and the comfort. You know, just give me a cure. And uh, I think there's a tremendous role, maybe now than ever before, for us in the healthcare profession and beyond to be comforters and uh, mm. to have in our mind um, the scripture from, for example, Second Corinthians: "God of all comfort mm. comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God." Amen. And, uh, and then lastly, a ministry of, of reconciliation where we understand that what we're trying to do here in medicine mm-hmm. is, is, uh, is not be the savior, uh, but rather trying to point things to the one who saves. Amen. And so to, to recon- reconcile all things uh, under the Lordship of Christ, including disease and medical issues you know, right. as, they, as they come up. And so that's... And to, understand that this is a co-labor with the Holy Spirit, it's quite exciting, actually, to practice medicine that way. When right. you're listening to the patient with one ear, and you got the Holy Spirit in the other one. Amen. You know, and, you, and you're listening for that nudge to know, okay, um, what would you really like me to do here, Lord? Yeah. You know, how, how, shall I, how shall I speak to this? Yeah. You know? The wisdom of God. Yeah, and, and, and just to be quiet in that. And sometimes uh, I, I neglect that. And, and the only times that I've ever uh, really felt badly is, is when I've done that, neglected it. <laughs> so the times when I've gone with the nudge and actually, you know, like prayed with somebody, which I have been able to do one many, many times, or given them a scripture yeah. uh, or, or uh, the like, uh, I've, it's been tremendous. And, you know, and, and the, not, not that I would do it for this reason, but, you know, you get the, the, the cards and the, the, the uh, right. uh, accolades, you know, and again, that's, that's not the driver, yeah. but, but still people are worried that, okay, well, you shouldn't do that and, and uh, you get in trouble. One has to be careful. I mean, she wears clothing, but, uh, yeah. the, the, uh, at the same time, uh, 
you know, God is active. Amen. And, and we can be part of that process. It can be very exciting to practice uh, in, that, in that sense. Amen. And that is a unique joy as well for the believer because, I mean, ultimately we understand that it's Christ working through us in what we say and what we do. Uh, I mean, he is the ultimate physician. He is the redeemer and the reconciler. Mm. And I just want to make sure I got these points clear for our listeners because these are really good. So the sovereignty of God, there's your first principle that informs you. And that gives you great perspective and great comfort over what apparently seems to be chaotic. At the end of the day, uh, God is working in his purposes, his good redemptive purposes. And we often can't discern all of those, but at least we can trust that as well. And then you're looking at, from a biblical perspective, you're ministering to the whole person. And this is unique to the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. where the person is not just a <laughs> a biological machine mm-hmm. or a, a psychological interface. Uh, this, is, this is much bigger than that. And then being able to offer that kind of care uh, so you don't dehumanize people to, what did you say, a viral carrier or viral yeah, bag yeah, or whatever right, it sure. is, yeah. right? I was reading an article just uh, the other day. Uh, it was a psychologist in Ontario, a child psychologist, who was uh, remarking on the level of damage that just simply masking up small children, school-aged children, mm-hmm. and and causing them to behave in such a way when they're at a point in their life that they're being socialized. They're learning how to interact with other people. Mm-hmm. And, and to cause them to behave in such a way that their friends now, their classmates, are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unknown dangers, because you can't see it. You can't smell it. It's just there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, uh, she articulated better than I, I did, but that was there. So you've got the sovereignty of God, the whole person, Christ in others, obviously, as we are serving them. Your servant role, as Jesus obviously served us. And then the ultimate idea that uh, we're, we're servants of reconciliation to the Redeemer. We ourselves aren't the Savior, which... I'm sure in your career you've come across the God complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's, right. that's right. I remember watching, this was a while ago, that uh, that series, House. You oh, remember yes. House? Oh, Greg House. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm He's sure. He's my, my role model. <laughs> <laughs> On Bedside Manor. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but did you see the episode when he goes toe-to-toe with God? I know I don't. I don't oh, you got to go. So it was basically who heals better. Mm. Is it house or God? You should look it up. It's, right, right. It's great. But anyway, I. Uh, but that gives us a unique perspective that we, we aren't. Obviously, and you, you gave the three uh, offering care, comfort, and relief. And there's your holistic side. Mm-hmm. Because in, in, in reducing people down to just simply viral loads, you're not going to get all those three. You might get cure, but... There you go. Yeah, that's right, Jason. That's tremendous. Okay, so then that actually naturally leads to our next question then. The debates rage endlessly, but what dangers do you see to the public health with the current approach that's being taken? I, I know by God's grace, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're supposed to be out of this by July. Mm-hmm. I'm a little skeptical about that for good reason. <laughs> but... Even if we are, we still have had an approach that has been adopted and now has been essentially a precedent. I mean, lockdowns seem to be a, a tool now that mm-hmm. is being used often. Uh, and maybe you can speak to that a little bit because I, I, I didn't think that was something that was often used in, in this case. So you got lockdowns, you got mandatory masking, and, and then you've got, uh, you know, all these isolation of asymptomatic people, the quarantine and a healthy. 
I know that's that's probably takes a book. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you want to write a book later. That's right. But, that's right. But what dangers do you see to the public health with the current approach? Yeah. Well, I would just open by saying that, you know, this this is a difficult time to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think to try to adopt any approach uh, would come under criticism. Right. You know? And and although there are numerous criticisms that I also share of the approach taken, I don't envy right. you know, that role. And, and I think it's been very difficult and trying. And I think there's been some really good intention. You know, that that's that's uh, not not all, but but a lot of it's been very good intention going on there too. So uh, I, I feel for them in, in their role, and it's a difficult role. We mentioned already the, the, the dehumanizing uh, uh, element of the reduction of the human person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this, this may have a far-reaching uh, uh, element in our society. But, uh, you know, the, the, the seemingly one attention on one disease as we're, as we're talking, right. I think uh, we're, our biology, our, our breathing, our biotic breathing, if you like, uh, becomes the end-all and be-all. Mm. This, is, this is an error. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think uh, there's meaning and purpose and depth and, and beyond these things. I, I I so I think this is a, and we've talked about that already. The, the collateral damage, of course, that has been well documented early on, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not like we're just finding out about it now. We'll be finding out about it more and more now as we go forward. Right. We don't know uh, the the tsunami that's been created here necessarily, right. but. But the collateral damage, even even I, I would say even a year ago, uh, right. was was quite evident in terms of the non-COVID illnesses, the delays in diagnoses, the the troubles with um, chronic diseases in particular. I've never seen. I lived in Edmonton here now for over thirty years, and the economic depression that we're in here is is just right. uh, uh, remarkable. You know, going downtown or whatever and seeing all the stores closed, and oh, yeah. it's, it's disheartening. You know. Yeah. And uh, and we're we're you know oil 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 city. I mean you know you know this is there's a time when we could we could, we were really booming like yeah. in 04, 05, 06 and, and the like. And this is uh, turned on its head. The, the students. I've got three boys in university, and the the disruption in the educational opportunities and and work opportunities and and the like are far reaching. Mm. And so those are those are certainly uh, you know some of the the uh, public health uh, concerns here with this type of approach that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, when we mentioned the loneliness uh, elements and, and uh, the isolation, how, how we know about that and, and how the scientific evidence tells us that no people are harmed actually when we, when we put them in isolation. I mean, that was something that was, that was uh, kept for, for, for uh, a prisoner, you know, that we had, we'd put them in isolation as a punishment, you know, right. here, here it's like the society now has to be punished in, the, in, this, in this way. Uh, and, and so I think there, there are, you know, major implications there. Right. Uh, and if so I may, just to speak yeah. to that for a minute. And that's one of the things, and help me understand this. I mean, obviously, from a medical perspective, uh, the first rule is do no harm, right? And, and just as a layman observing the approach over the last 15 months, I can't get it through my head why a known mechanism such as isolation, which you just alluded to, I mean, it, it does damage. Mm-hmm. Like this is a damaging thing to do. Yeah. This is why we use it in prisons. And so what is the, maybe you can speak to that later, but what's the logic of using that tool against this particular disease or any other disease for that matter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't make the connection. Am I missing something? Well, it, 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 there's a relationship, but it's, it's a weak one. And I think what, what's going on here is that there's, there's a deep, deep unnerving fear mm-hmm. that's driving this. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I mentioned briefly the Ebola uh, right. concern, but, but uh, I think people have really been unnerved. Right. Uh, and the, and the physician, uh, the physicians too, you know, mm-hmm. and I think 
this fear now, uh, you know, I've got everything to lose, you know, I, I, and so this is, uh, is so, so one can think right. you know, uh, in a material-minded uh, perspective, for example, and I think this can drive even even such approaches, which which many countries did not do, like Sweden, for example, and, and others, and, and uh, so I, I don't think the, the evidence, it's not like they're, they've got this ironclad evidence that they're resting on and saying, well, this is what it's done. In fact, uh, I, I found it quite interesting to, to learn about the retired Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, David Redman, who was in charge of uh, you know emergency responses right. in Alberta, and, and hearing him speak on, on, on this concern, and they had actually laid out a pandemic response. Right. You know, it was way pre-COVID, but right. we have, I guess, in place some mechanisms. Okay, if this happens, do that. It's like you have in the right. church here, you'd have a, a fire response. If there's a fire, you do these things. Right, you know? right, right. And so even though there's no fire right now, you're still prepared for it. Right. And, and likewise, we had this pandemic plan. Right, and they spent and, considerable uh, resources on Sure, well, he, you know, uh, and... Uh, and they would re- update it and kind of make it more current and everything. Right. And yet, um, as he as he spoke, uh, when he looked at, at how how things uh, were done by by the uh, leadership, of all the things they said to do, they didn't do them. And all the things they said do not do, uh, you know, like shutting down society, for example, uh, they did do. So it was, it was, it was uh, ironic in a way that they they neglected that important document not that it have to fi- follow it you know word for word but you, you at least want to use that as a reference point you know for right. your decisions because these are people that you've hired experts that, that have given a lot of thought to this so now we've got the fire here in the building so now what do right. we what do they we do thought well, it up. Let, let's think about let's go to the plan that the firemen right. had for us right. you know and rather than follow my advice right and i think you know when the problem when you follow my advice a doctor's advice um you're going to get a reduced perspective or right. something because all I can think about is this problem you know? right. and I'm, I'm not going to see the bigger picture that's why we need leadership that will say okay well thank you doctor for that perspective that's important right you know, we'll include that as we work through this but it is a bigger picture than that right, you know? right. so that's, that's a player it's an important player uh, yes. but let's, let's incorporate it now into this bigger plan because right. health is a bigger thing than than just the, the virus and the mm. prevent, prevention of the virus you know so so anyway one could yeah you, you're right Spent a whole, uh, read a whole book, or or, or bore uh, well, listeners to tears. I know Doctor Fauci is. I don't know if you want to follow in his footsteps, yeah, but right. I think that's he right. wrote one already. That's right. So you're talking about the the damages here, the dangers to public health. You mentioned emotional. Uh, you mentioned economic. Did you mention physiological? Is there like I, I know it's sort of tied, obviously, to the isolation, but any other da- dangers you see with the current approach? Yeah. Well, you know, one one thing uh, that's been very disappointing uh, during this time is the lack of discussion. Mm. And and so we, we typically, uh, in, in any other area of medicine, uh, we would have robust discussion arguments. And in fact, one of our favorite things to do at a, at a medical meeting is going to the debates. Oh. We love that stuff, you know? Because you have you know, some top experts. So theologians are the and, only ones. Uh, who yeah, and they're presenting, they're presenting <laughs> a, a differing views on a particular treatment or approach right. or whatever. And, uh, and they, have good po- they each have good points. And so you end up coming away from that uh, being uh, enriched, you know? And you don't necessarily, necessarily agree fully with this A, but you understand that A, a has some important points. Maybe we can incorporate it into B. And so uh, the debate, the robust, the, the uh, discussion, and the, the critique... Is, a, is an essential part of how we think and how we grow and develop, you know, and that's really been shut down. Right. And, and I think that that's an error as well. I think even if you wouldn't agree 
with the person. Let, let's hear them out. Right. You know? maybe, well, maybe there is a point there. And uh, right. maybe I do have to modify you know, my approach here. Sure. And, and this is how always we've done things. And so I, I've been surprised, as others have been, and very disappointed where you just have silencing that this cancer culture uh, uh, cancer, culture, culture, yeah. culture yeah. canceling kind of mentality you yeah. know and i said cancer but it's like that uh, <laughs> the cancellation the cancer of cancel yeah, culture that, that, that's right and that's so a good name for a book it's a, it's a it's a terrible uh, thing and you have punitive measures then that are that are being employed in canada for example the uh, college of physicians and surgeons of ontario have uh, forbid uh, you know physicians from Questioning or debating any of their of their uh, points in terms of uh, the the measures uh, that right. they're putting forward, and I think that that's that's an error. I mean, I understand on a certain level we want to have a you know a common front, you know, sure. especially we're trying to get public uh, buy in to a certain approach, whatever, and you don't want to have a lot of dissension. I, I understand that, but at the same time, you know, is this approach the best approach? And and maybe there, there's some good things we could. We could develop and learn. Right. I mean, the the Great Barrington Declaration, for example. Right. Um, very very important to, to hear this perspective and, and mm. say, okay, well, maybe you know a targeted approach. Maybe that would be uh, very important uh, to right. at least have. So I think that that's been a, a, a frustration from very early on in the pandemic that we began to recognize. Well, there's certain risk factors for this. You right. Know? And yes, no, anybody potentially could get it or whatever. But in terms of, you know, requiring hospitalization or, cur- or, or the mortality risks, um, you know, there, there are, is the, the elderly are more prone and we understand, you know, the obesity is an issue and other right. cardiovascular lung uh, cancer uh, issues, you yeah. know, someone's frail, uh, frailty scores and the like, this increases one risk of, of a bad outcome. Yeah. So, well, I've uh, even seen, like, I mean, we joke about the COVID-15, right? But, you know, you, you see people who have gained, in some cases, an unhealthy amount of weight. Yeah, that's right. And so it's like, oh, um, and, and some of these people are, in their prime, and yes. I mean, like they're in their thirties. Yes. So, you know, statistically, we know like the virus poses very little risk for them. But yeah. now they got now they got a risk. Yeah, that's true. A bigger one. So, a very common problem that I'm being asked to see young people for uh, is shortness of breath. You know, oh, wow. And shortness of breath is a very common symptom in heart disease, as other problems, of course. And it's a a main player in terms of a symptom to kind of uh, work out. You know, right. And so, it's something that we we do daily. You know, uh, heart failure can cause shortness of breath, but so can a whole ream of other things. Right. And I must say. By and large, the most common cause of shortness of breath that I'm seeing for those kind of undifferentiated shortness of breath uh, concerns in the in the public are related to deconditioning right. from being out of shape, and they're they're just not used to that. So you know they say, well, you know, I've been walk I, when I walk up the stairs, I I, I have I'm short of breath. I said, well, what have you been doing? You know, in the last well, no, nothing. I've been so watching Netflix. So yeah. so this is what happens. We lose our lose our fitness levels. So in terms of your physiologic question, <clears throat> uh, to get to that, mm-hmm. then, you know, there's been a a loss of, 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 of health on many fronts. Um, right. And that would be one of them for right. sure. Yeah. And again, not a doctor, but I mean, you know, I remember going to my doctor when I was a younger guy and, you know, sometimes the doctor would say, you got to exercise more. <laughs> this was his prescription. <laughs> you got to yeah. exercise more and eat less uh, fried foods. That's right. One of the things you mentioned about the Great Barrington Declaration, this is something that I, I again, as a layman looking at this, incredibly confused. Because I look at some of these guys, these primary uh, signers of the document, these are experts in their fields. These are renowned, world-renowned minds when it comes to epidemiology and virology. I mean, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, uh, 
These aren't light hitters. These aren't people making YouTube videos in their basement. These mm -hmm. are people who have published many a journal. Yeah. And then they're completely dismissed. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, wait a minute. This is, uh, this is not how uh, scientific discussion no, it's not. goes. No, it's very unhealthy, actually. Yeah. Tremendously yeah. unhealthy and, and, and incredibly politicized. Mm -hmm. And, and dangerous, obviously. But uh, so I, I'm glad that you brought that up because, again, you know, I, I look at this stuff and I, I was like, wow, you know, this one-sided approach that seems to have gone into literally everything. Yeah. That myopia That's or right. myopia. So you got psychological damage, physiological damage, economic damage, and anything else? Well, I mean, uh, the the rights and freedoms, you know, this is a terrible uh, precedent. I, I was interested to hear uh, the former uh British Prime Minister Theresa May actually speak to that, and she, mm. she she said just to quote her, making it illegal to conduct an act of worship for the best, making it an illegal uh, to conduct an act of worship for the best of intentions sets a bad precedent that could be misused by future governments with the worst of intentions. Wow, and, and, you know, May said, I, yeah, that? yeah, that's right. Mm. And so you know, bless her heart. But wow. but I mean, she's just <laughs> recognizing that yeah, we're we're heading down a very very uh, bad path. Sounds here, like a know? wise woman. Yeah. And so this is a this is a concern, and, and one one question that I'd ask patients in terms of their supports, I, I would generally ask them uh, on the side there, and you know you have church involvement there, and right. and remarkable the uptake I get on that, and so that's why I keep asking that question because uh, people need encouragement, you know. Right. I'm, I'm talking pre-COVID, uh, right, right, right. And, and now, uh, generally speaking, uh, I'm I'm very sad to say that. Without just a very few exceptions, people say, "Well, no, that, that's not happening," you know. Mm -hmm. And they did the online thing for a bit, but that's not that's that's gone now, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, so that interesting, you know. Uh, so you get a disengagement. A, yeah, that's right. Oh boy, it's such an important uh, element of, of of who we are as a gathered community. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, I think that's been a, a giant uh, problem. And you know, I, I was I was impressed with the uh, Center of Disease Control in the United States, uh, the CDC, because yeah. they came out with recommendations and uh, on, you know regarding worship and the like. Uh, but at the very beginning of their statements, they underscored the uh, the, the uh, First Amendment and the freedom to worship. Right. And they said without government hindrance, and so that was their starting point. Right. And so they said, "What well, these are just recommendations we're giving you," you know. Wow. So. Uh, uh, and they said, you know, this, this, and this, and uh, but we're not saying you can't gather. You know, we recognize that there's a jurisdiction uh, issue here, and we have, we have a limitation to. But we'll we'll make a recommendation, just like I would say to you if you're a smoker. You know, maybe you should you should quit smoking. This is how you can maybe do it. But you're going to decide yourself if you're going to quit smoking or not. And right. there's there's bodily integrity, and there's your own freedoms, and right. and 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 to respect you as a person. Right. You know, then then I, I let you make your own decision. You know, right. if you want to light up or not. And, and uh, well, I heard uh, somebody said. Uh, a commentator said this the other day that uh, this is the end, referring to all the lockdowns and whatnot. He said, this is the end of my body, my choice. His, his comment was based on the fact that what we have done as a society, largely speaking, is we've surrendered bodily autonomy uh, in, in various ways. You know, freedom of movement, uh, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, face masks, regardless of whether or not they work or not, just the compulsion to wear them. Um, or the law to wear them. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, he talked about, uh, and now even how these freedoms that were taken away are only restored based on the condition of vaccination. Mm -hmm. 
And he, he made the, the joke. He goes, you know, last time that's I checked, that's what pimps do, right? It's like, I'll give you your freedom if you take this. And that to me is insane. Like, what a precedent that yeah, is. It is yeah. And it would be great if we had an omnibenevolent government. Uh, but the reality is, is human nature is the way it is. We yeah. understand that people are motivated mm-hmm. by a variety of different things mm-hmm. uh, and not necessarily the good of their fellow man. No, early on, it was decided, I believe, by by leadership, really globally, that vaccination was the answer. Right. And, and I can understand uh, that the, the, the ideas behind that vaccination is can be tremendously effective and is very, very cost effective. Right. Yeah, from a from a cost standpoint, I mean, it's going to cost a lot of billions to do this, but but in terms of what what it can actually pr- produce for one, and right. it's based on prior vaccinations. We've got a, uh, a remarkable vaccination story that we right. could have a whole podcast on, but um, you know immunizations and like, and right. so it, it is a it is an important story, and and I think they they have an important role. But it was decided that early on, I believe that this is this is the solution. Period. Right. And so it's the period part, I think, which is the the error. I think it can be part of the solution, an important part of the solution. But um, it, it creates in, in one's mind, I think, uh, the, the deification of medicine on one level. Mm. And, and then it, uh, it it's mandating something that shouldn't be mandated. Right. And it's maybe not formally mandated, but if you're saying you know, to society, well, we're not going to open up the recreation center so you can go swimming until we have 70% uptake of the vaccine, which is what was happening in Alberta here in mm-hmm. Edmonton. Right. Uh, you know, then, then you're going to have family members say, hey, uh, you know, why don't you get vaccinated so we can get that number? Because I want to go swimming. I mean, <laughs> right. it's, a, it's an important, uh, you know, element, a, a physical outlet. And, right. and, uh, and that's just one, one tiny example. Yeah. And so I, I think that's, that's, a, that's really uh, an, an error. But I can understand, you know, this is where they're coming from. Understood. So, right. so this is, they, they want this. They're going right. to get it. Whatever, right. Even if it means, you we know. Bend your arm to do it. So correct me if I'm wrong. First vaccine developed by a, a Christian, correct? Yes, I, 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 yes, that's right. Jenner, yeah. So we've got a great heritage yes. for vaccines. I want to make sure I, I preface this next question <laughs> fairly. I'm not anti-vax. All of my children are vaccinated, my wife, myself. But recently, I have been concerned about the indemnification that uh, every company out there who, who's produced a vaccine has. I, I don't know what the historical precedent of that is, but it seems... From a, as a as a man who understands human nature through a biblical lens, mm-hmm. that gave me great cause for concern, because I'm like, wow, you're you're actually allowing people to profit immensely without any accountability. Last time I checked, that doesn't work well for human nature. Yeah. So that was concern number one. The other concern that I've been seeing over the course of the last maybe a month and a half um, is that we're, we're seeing a lot of negative side effects come pouring in. Uh, whether it's, I think it's blood clots or a heart enlargement or even one case in Ontario I just saw last week where uh, this lady had taken the vaccine and she uh, got Bell's palsy. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any comments for our listeners? Because mm. I know some some people on who are listening who are like, I need this, I got to get this, I got to get back to work. Yes. Uh, there are other people who are like, well, I don't really want it, but I'm going to take it anyway so I can just be done with it. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who are like, I'm terrified. I don't yeah. want to touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. That's, that's right. So solve all the world's problems. Yeah, no, that's right. That's, that's a very good question. And there's no simple answer to that, is there? No. But, uh, you know, from my own standpoint, uh, I, I've long had uh, a vaccination passport. 
And so for me uh, to travel into certain countries, for example, to go to Cameroon more recently, I had to have my yellow fever vaccination. I had to have it and show it at, at, at the borders. You can't come in. Right. And so, uh, for, for a physician doing travel mm-hmm. medically, uh, then, uh, having a, a, a vaccination passport is part and parcel of the job. You know, mm-hmm. you want to do the job, you know, you, you, this is what you do. You want to be a police officer, you wear the flak jacket. I mean, this is just what you do. You know, you don't want to wear it, then you, you can find another job. And I, I appreciate that. And so there was no question in my mind when the vaccine came out to get vaccinated. It was just part of, uh, just add it to the right. list of vaccines that I've had, you know, and so right. I, I didn't, I wasn't even particularly choosy about which one. Part of the I course. Just the one that, that was given to me and, and moved on. And I think, uh, you know, I, I would say the majority of my colleagues would say the same or, or feel the same kind of way. Right. Maybe there'd be more fear driving their desire to have the vaccine than for me. But for me, it was just a, a reality of the job. And, right. And, and being in healthcare. Makes sense. And, uh, you know, but to apply that, though, to the population, I, I think that would be, that would be uh, unfair, you know. Mm. And so we don't have everyone in the population wearing the police, policeman's flak jacket or right. what have you. Right. You know, so we, we, we have uh, recognized a certain risk with this job. You know, here I am in the hospital seeing patients in and out and, you know, I'm going to be exposed more likely than you will be. Right. Know? And so uh, it makes sense. But, you know, for the for the general population at large, we have to then weigh in balance like we do everything in medicine, mm-hmm. even the simplest of therapies. What are the benefit and what are the risks? What are, What's your particular benefit individually, you, and what's right. your particular risk, you know? Right. And answering those questions can be difficult because... Uh, this the one of the issues with this uh, next generation vaccines they were dealing with is that they're next generation they're novel they're new you know so it's, right. it's uncharted ground so to speak and right. so for me to say to you oh no you're fine 100 percent right. this is silly you know right. no one can say that and got and it we just don't know now I, I think I think that the safety margin is great but mm. that being said um, you know there are there are risks and, and and what is the individual's risk of, of the of the disease then right and so for example a child's right you know someone without any of the risk factors that we've identified as, as players a younger person right you know, what's there is uh, a woman who wants to be become pregnant or right. or, or a pregnant mother right. uh, you know what what uh, a woman uh, what about them and so I think it's important then to to look at that and there have been you know issues with the vaccines uh, one that we did not expect uh, was the anaphylaxis, uh, the the uh, allergic response mm. or reaction to to the vaccine. Uh, in fact, it was felt, uh, and I shared that 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 feeling that because we're not using because this next generation we call platform we call it isn't using the same type of uh, approach to uh, create the vaccine in terms mm. of the cells, the egg egg uh, cell culture, mm. uh, there would probably be even less antigens or less problems uh, uh, that would maybe trigger an immune response, anaphylaxis, uh, right. which is, of course, a catastrophic, very treatable, but still, you know, you, you don't want it to happen. If it's going to happen, you right. want it to happen when someone's got an epinephrine pen nearby. Right. You know? But um, And so that that was a surprise. The, the, the rates of anaphylaxis, while still very low and acceptable, were you know higher Still, right. higher than we, we see with with other other vaccines so and again it's because we're dealing with something that's new so we didn't right. know that and so for me to have said to you yeah your risk of anaphylaxis is zero you know this would be foolhardy right and and so likewise when we see other issues then uh, coming and more concerning than the anaphylaxis uh, is this problem that can happen related to the spike protein related to the how the vaccine tells our our, our body to respond because the vaccine does use 
God's elegant machinery right. to, to protect us. I mean, we are using our own immune system right. and the vaccine's kind of giving directions, if you yeah. like. And so it, it is a beautiful thing and it's, and it's uh, elegant and, it, and it's tremendously ingenious how right. they've done, done this. And I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the process. But that being said, they've discovered then with, with, um, with the vaccine that there are some people, it's hard to predict who. This is, this is the real problem. It's not like the COVID where you have a certain risk factor profile. Uh, obviously people are going to have a bad outcome and the, and the bad outcome for the vaccine we don't necessarily know in fact it looks like it's younger people and, mm. and, and you know so it's it's not not clear you know mm. yet but there are problems with the blood clotting uh and and uh and bleeding and mm. it's a particular problem that we see we, we've known about for a long time related to a, a particular medicine blood thinning medicine that we use called heparin we call it heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. They're big words, but it means that the heparin, the, the medicine mm-hmm. to thin the blood, can actually cause a body's response, which is very, very uh, dangerous. Mm-hmm. And that body response is, is eating up, if you like, or causing to clump these cells that, that are blood clotting cells called platelets. Mm-hmm. And as these platelets clot, they come out of circulation, and it puts the person at prone risk for bleeding. So they have a, a double whammy of blood clotting problem and blood and bleeding problem. Wow. It's like your worst case scenario. Right. Know? It's like, uh, you know, freezing as you burn to death kind of idea, you know, say as, a, as an analogy of just the opposite, you know, because our treatment of blood clotting is right. blood thinning. Our treatment of bleeding is not to give blood thinner. And so you have that kind of oh, medical man. conundrum, and this can be very challenging to treat full-blown cases of heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. This is a sim- very similar called vaccine-induced thrombocytopenia. And the vaccine, you know, have been, again, low numbers, but still, there's this, it's a new finding. And so it's disconcerting when you see this kind of thing. And so therefore, uh, even though these are low numbers and acceptable numbers, they're still uh, makes you uh, hesitant to say, well, there's no going to be no further problems. Now, generally speaking with vaccines, the problems that we see are early on. So if you have a problem with your vaccine, generally speaking, it's going to be in the first month or two months, and, and then you're still fine, you're still breathing, you're good, you know. But um, because it's a novel, novel strategy here, we can't be, just like we, we couldn't be 100% about the anaphylaxis risk or your thrombocytopenia risk, we can't be 100% about the long-term risk either. You know, we have to be, I think, uh, humble here. Right. You know, and realize, well, this is what we, we know so far. Right. This is what we believe. Mm-hmm. But we, we don't know for sure. And so, therefore, it comes back to the weighing and balancing the risk and benefit. Mm-hmm. I think it comes down to an individual level and an individual's comfort level. You know, mm-hmm. and if you're a healthcare provider, I think then... You know, you have to decide, okay, well, you know, Man. it's one thing, but if yeah. you're not, uh, then. Well, I like what not. you're saying, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, that informed consent is, is a good way to go, right? And so people need to be informed of their own risk factors, their context, and what they're getting themselves into, and then consent to it, not be coerced. So that's helpful. And I, and I appreciate what you said about, you know, the ingeniousness of. Uh, you know, these vaccines and these next generation vaccines. But um, who was it who said? Uh, maybe it was you. I don't know. Um, somebody said that uh, you can't beat time when it comes to vaccines because over a long period of time, then you're actually going to see what it does. Yes. And, uh, and I, I suspect that we're going to have COVID-19 for a long time. Right. I think this may be. Well, isn't our, it forever? Our, yeah. <laughs> like, this may be our, our regular <laughs> flu season now. Right. I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I have. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we're going to have opportunities to revisit this in the future, too. Yes. And as time goes by, one can then become well, And it's being studied incredibly intensely. Yeah. And, for example, in populations, for example, in the pregnancy, pregnant population. Right. It's, there's intense study. 
everybody here. Well, that's and, encouraging and, and, and no, to know. It is encouraging, yeah. and I think because people do have good intentions here, sure. and they, they want to see people thrive and flourish, and, and they're, they're, I think the vaccine will, will be part of that. But but uh, it will become easier then for, you know, for, for your daughter then when she's older, you know, to consider this. Right, right. Because we put we'll it have through some the time. We'll have some time to go by and say, okay, well, actually in this case we don't do it, but in this case we do, or whatever. We'll, we'll know better, you know, in, in time. Amen. So push comes to shove. I encourage my, my older patients, my patients at risk to get to get their vaccination, but it always comes down to their own choice. I don't think this should be mandated. And I think this is, you know, to have these arbitrary numbers the government has chosen kind of to to, to live right. or die by, I think this is this is really quite foolhardy and, and harmful. Right, right. Well, let's hope that COVID season doesn't turn into lockdown season in the future for all of our sakes. Oh, wait, last question for today then. What are some practical steps that the average saint can take uh, to care for people in a holistic manner in, in these myopic times? Because you know, there's only so much we can do individually and collectively, but what would you recommend? Well, I think, you know, remaining connected with, with people, our friends and loved ones is paramount, you know, mm-hmm. by whatever means. And, you know, it is remarkable to live in this time where we have such technologies as zoom and yeah. texting and, and emailing and, and mm-hmm. phone call uh Podcast. video chat and these kinds of things it's tremendous <laughs> and uh but of course um you know visitation being able to visit uh, in person uh would be the very the best right you know and, and then maybe we can't you know in, in certain kind of scenarios but i would really think it's particularly uh you know, in certain scenarios, we we have to be able to allow this kind of thing. I think there's, it's a real error. We have a rule; it's unbending, right? And you have scenarios, heartbreaking scenarios, of people dying without their loved ones, etc. We talked about already, right? And and I think it, you know the in-person opportunities is is critical because we're more than you know just just this uh, this issue. Mm-hmm. So the the connection would be very important. And as a as a physician, for for me, it, it's it's carrying on as I as I mentioned already and seeing patients. As the complex, multifaceted, created in God's image, nests that they are, you know, right. and not and pushing back on this idea that they're, they're uh, that they're anything less, uh, and trying to think, see the the bigger picture at hand in their lives rather than just you know this this issue only, uh, and helping them uh, and, and and others put their fears and their hopes into a healthier context. Right. You know, I think this is as, as Christians in particular, we we. Um, we we can't allow the, the the virus to be our primary fear, and mm. nor can we allow the vaccine to be our primary hope. Amen. You know, that this is a well this said. is an error. You can you can be concerned about the virus and take take precautions, of course, and and you can have certain expectations of, of the vaccine, so it allows you to get back to normalcy or whatever it does for you. But but to you know, it's fear of the Lord. Let's not forget that, and, and it's and it's Christ's salvation on the cross. So let's not let's not forget that. Amen. And these these are critical to. Gently in conversation, try to steer people toward. Uh, I think that that's uh, that's a very important part. Remaining connected with them and trying to rec- uh, trying to redirect their fears and their hopes. Amen. That's well said, brother. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule and for giving us wisdom and insight and great principles to consider from God's word as we navigate these myopic times. Um, for our listeners, if you got any questions, feel free to email us at questions at fellowshipedmonton.com or you can follow us on Instagram or Fellowship uh, Edmonton on Facebook. And until next time, this is The Average Saints signing off.